This episode of the Golden Mike Podcast is brought to you by iWake.com. Check out www.iwake.com for breaking news, articles, and exclusive videos. Thanks again to iWake.com. And now, it's showtime. He's been the voice of wakeboarding for over a decade. His vocal tones have narrated Toad Watersport's biggest and most prestigious events in the world. With over 25 years on the water experience, charisma, and command of his audience, Noise of the North brings you the Golden Mike Podcast with Dano the Mano. Welcome, everybody, to the Golden Mike Podcast. I'm the Noise of the North, Dano the Mano, and now it's time for some audio sunshine. Once again, today's episode was recorded in sunny Orlando, Florida, the mecca of all things wake. This audio podcast is based off the lake life, my passion for toad water sports, and the athletes who have helped sculpt the landscape of the sport we love. Twice a month, I'll be chatting it up with the industry's top names, past and present, the riders and the people behind the scenes who make this world on the water spin. The Golden Mike Podcast is brought to you for free on the first and third Wednesday of each and every month, both on iTunes and at noiseofthenorth.com. To keep this podcast no charge, I'd like to thank the sponsors of the show, iWake.com, Woodrose, Hydra Fenders, Jammy Pack, Performance Ski and Surf, Hungry Boards SUP, Sea Deck Marine Products, and GoPuck. Be sure to check out the sponsor link on noiseofthenorth.com to help support and to find special offers and deals from the people who helped me make this show happen. Please be sure to subscribe to the Golden Mike Podcast free on iTunes and don't forget to rate and review the show. Recommend us to a friend and guys, please help spread the word. Also, follow my personal Instagram at DanoTMano and both Twitter accounts at the Dano T. Mano, and at the Golden underscore Mike. Feel free to contact me with any questions or comments through the Golden Mike Facebook page or email me, goldenmike at noiseofthenorth.com. This is episode number 20, and I'm stoked to have longtime pro wakeboarder, a past many-time Australian pro tour stop and overall pro tour champion, past wake games, and world champion, Dean Sanity himself, Dean Smith. You know, I've been friends with Dean for a long time, and he's a guy who's accomplished a ton within the industry. But you know what? He's worked for it all. He lives the perpetual summer, going back and forth between the U.S. and Australia, dodging snow and all of the winter elements in general. Dean is one of those guys you want around. He's funny, he's helpful, and he's insightful. Dean's a great storyteller and seems to have a story for every occasion. 2014 was a big year for Dean. Between travel, contests, video parts, and saving a good friend's life, Dino kept on grinding. 2015 and the future continue to look bright, and on this episode of the Golden Mike Podcast, I'm looking forward to talking and hearing all about it. So hang tight, guys. In just a few moments, we'll be right back with Dean Smith here on the Golden Mike Podcast. GoPuck is a mountable, compact, durable, and portable rapid charging battery. 
GoPuck allows you to stay connected, capture priceless moments, and enjoy mobile freedom. Check out their website, gopuck.com. Be sure to use my promo code, MANO2015, M-A-N-O-2015, and you'll get an extra 10% off your entire order. Good day, mate. Dean O. Smith, welcome to the Golden Mike Podcast. Yeah, it's good to be here. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, welcome welcome out to the mini mansion, Dino. Yeah, I know. I haven't been out here to check it out, and uh, I'm impressed. I'm very impressed. Yeah, I'm I'm impressed that you actually came out here because I had offered to come out by you. The last couple of episodes that I recorded have been on the road. I recorded one at Watson's house in his boat, and one over in your neck of the woods over at Danny's house mm-hmm. in his boat, and rumor has it that your new Tyga is in town, and I was thinking about coming out to you tonight to, to record in, in that bad boy. No, I had to come out and check out the lair you've got here. Yeah, did security give you an issue getting in? Yeah. <laughs> that was all right. It's good. It's a good neighborhood. Yes, we feel very, very safe over here in the Dr. Phillips neighborhood. Yeah. I'm I'm bummed out. Uh, I'm gonna have to move out eventually here, unfortunately. But you're um you're up in your social game. I drove past a Rolls and a Porsche within about three houses of me turning onto your street. So your social game stepped up. Yeah, usually if I if I can get a lady to come over here and they're like, oh, where's your Porsche? I'm like, ah, oh, it's in the shop. <laughs> it's in the shop. Yeah, no, it's good. Man, I know you've been in town for a while here, but this is probably one of the first times you and I have been able to to catch up. Let's start off with how your summer's been all past 10 years of it. Yeah, no, it's been good. Um, This one's been slow. This has been a bit of a downer this year. Um, Came in hot, like, was all healthy all last year and all that, and then came in this year and um, smoked myself on a Pete Rose, and I had a whiplash for three and a half months, so I was, couldn't do a thing. I was... Um, couldn't work out, couldn't do anything because my neck was so tender. I couldn't move my head really. And I'd wake up pretty messed up just from being weird angles on my pillow and stuff. So it took me three and a half months to get over that and start really riding again. So I've been on the board again, like probably for about a month, I think. So it's been, it's been slow so far. And then, yeah, I'm heading back to Australia pretty soon. So it's all been a bit of a blur this summer so far. And and actually, the true American summer hasn't really even started here as far as right. date-wise date goes. Yeah, and I think that's why it's so weird. Like, I, I, it's only just starting, and then there's so much going on already. I'm trying to um, manage my life right now, trying to jam as much into as I can while I'm riding and everything, and then go back to Australia and be back in August. So it's um this. I think this whole year is going to be just a complete blur. Like, it's gonna be it's gonna be one of the shortest years I've ever had. I know you've been staying a little bit busy off the water. I saw yesterday your Twitter feed was kind of was kind of blowing up. Yeah, um, nothing to do with wakeboarding. I was going to say not, necess- <laughs> not necessarily <laughs> about wakeboarding, yeah, but no. uh, I think it- I have a disclaimer on my Twitter these days. I think I I think I actually have. If you look at my um, profile, I think it actually says something. Disclaimer: Tweet a lot about uh, cricket, soccer, and rugby or something. So we're actually recording this one day out of the Champions League Champions final. League final. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so soccer, of course, or football for you, right? Yeah, sure. No, soccer, whatever. Soccer. I call it football, but yeah, because it's usually fate. What's been happening within that? I mean, first of all, I know that it, it consumed your entire weekend, which mm-hmm. was this, as, this as past weekend was a big weekend. There was a big contest out in Ackworth. Uh, the Super Pro Wake Tour was going on. The 
Monster Energy Triple Crown was yeah. going on. And yeah, I was keeping up. I was actually keeping up to date with those on Twitter too. So actually, one of the reasons that I'm on there is usually because I'm checking results and stuff, and then my whole feed, my entire Twitter feed, is usually revolving around sports other than wakeboarding. So I went on there and uh, pretty much just got stuck on Twitter. What's what's going on with the FIFA commissioner or president? Sepp Blatter. Yeah. What's... He um he just got actually. There's a lot more happening right now. I think. There was a, uh, well, other than the obvious, when he had got resigned for all the other corruption, they were offering whatever it was, all the bit, the bribes or whatever. But then they, um, there was a $10 million uh, bribe that he offered something, came out today, and then there was something about FIFA trying to shut up the Irish uh, Football Association over the handball in like 2002 and it kept them out of the World Cup against France and there was corruption with that. Yeah, it, it, it's really hit the fan. Oh, action and drama. I love it. And I a love combination it. I, of I both. I love it all. That's what, that's, that, that's what keeps my day occupied is all the, uh, the, uh, all the, all the my whole Twitter feed is just all uh, satire. So I love it. So they're ousting this guy, but I, He's I was, asked. I was, He's gone. I was listening uh, on talk radio this morning. I've been listening to a lot of talk radio. And so do I. It sounds like even though I'm, he's ousted, He's not going anywhere, from what I understand. No, well, from what everyone guesses is that he's a pretty big ego. He's been, I think he's been president since like 1998 now. Um, but he, the, the rumor has it that he's still trying to clear his name and he has no intention of like completely s- stepping aside or whatever. So, um, but yeah, it's all at the moment, it's all sort of hearsay because the FBI, which makes it, this is all the satire that I have on my Twitter feed. It makes it so much funnier. Makes makes life more entertaining when you got humor the whole way through it. But there's all these funny things about because the FBI is single handedly taking FIFA down right now. So it's like Team America taking on the world. So there's a really all these really funny little vines and videos online. It's really cool. It's too funny. It's pretty cool that you that you keep up with all that stuff too. Yeah, I love and, sport, man. Yeah, I mean you you, you got to have a little bit of that balance. Um, talking about the social media, I I gotta admit I love when you do a little trash talking on the social media. Uh, Inside the wakeboard industry, um, you know, sometimes you're not in an event and I see that I see Instagram posts or tweets or even Facebook posts talking about some of the riders. Uh, do you have any like favorites or posts that, you know, maybe stuck out to you or maybe that you stepped over the line a little bit over the years? Um, I don't know. I'm trying to think back if I've like, well, if, I, if I've stepped over the line, I've probably deleted the post. Or if I thought I stepped over the line anywhere, if I thought I was bordering or whatever. And I can't really think if I've deleted any posts or I'm trying anything. to think of guys who you've been razzing a lot. Well, I mean, I've been razzing, obviously, Phil. Like, uh, I mean, that's obvious. But, like... Phil Sovin, uh, Danny Thollander was one that I, I saw you were... I don't think I razzled him. I don't know. <laughs> I'm trying to think of people that have razzled. Like, I've probably maybe Russ a couple of times. I don't know. But it's never... It's all banter. I don't know. It's never, like... The the only people that if if I was gonna step over the line, I'd, it's probably only been with Phil. But then Phil's a good friend, and I don't care. Right, and I think it's funny. I'm trying to like think of some of those some of the some of the best ones I've seen. What was that one last year with Phil in the hand? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, we had that he had that photo of himself where he was being a complete tool and holding up his finger or whatever, saying that he was number one or whatever it was. And then so yeah, he ended. I ended up beating him, which made it funnier because. I beat him at weight games and um and then he I think if you finish second in your heat of weight games I think it was a six man final so he comes seventh in, uh, if you finish second in your semi final heat so 
yeah, we photoshopped the photo of him with one finger and added another six. Right. So he's holding up six fingers, seven fingers. So, so he came second. There was a bunch of funny ones. There was like the the uh, California, welcome to California, because he got suspended from the pro tour. Sure. Which was the best thing that's happened ever on pro tour. In, well, I think that history. was the weekend that you put up the seven fingers. Was no, the it would have been before that. Well, it, like, was, it was that weekend that he made the move that got him disqualified. Yeah, probably yeah. did actually. Yeah, yeah, it was actually yeah because it was at the Atlanta stop. Yeah, exactly. and he was being more on at that event and threw his board down and then freaked out. And he's good. He's good value. And then Phil's the only actually. I mean, talk about overstepping. Like Phil's the only person I know that needlessly oversteps on social media and for no for no gain. Like there's just nothing funny about what he's saying. There's like he did it the other day. I can't even think what he uh, something on my feed. And it had nothing to do with my the, the post that I put up was nothing political with wakeboarding. I can't even remember what it was. It was about FIFA, actually. It was actually literally I put up a funny post on Instagram about FIFA, and Phil had to post something weird about some politics in wakeboarding, whatever. And then I called him out on it. He deleted it. But yeah, just needless, like just Phil being Phil. You're like Phil. Nobody even knows what you're talking about. No, man. everyone definitely knew what he was talking. We would have known what he's talking about. But I like just text him, and I think I just. Send him a message that just said something along the lines of like uh, pointless or needless. So I, I can't even remember any and he deleted it. But. We're gonna we're gonna have Phil on the on yeah, the podcast cool. one day and yeah, he's a good buddy. He's he's like I, that's what I find funny. I think it was at um Noah Flegel's mum who came to Brazil and um and we were I can't remember what happened. Like I, I must have said something to Phil or done something and then and then Noah's mum's come up to us and gone, oh, yeah, I've never been able to work out if you guys are actually friends or not. And I'm like, really? And she goes, yeah, because you're always making fun of him and doing that. And it was really funny. So I always wonder now how many people think that me and Phil, whatever, rivals, or I don't know, something weird like that. And then they see video of or, or photos of us hanging out all the time and riding. Because I ride, I rode with him all last week. It was really fun. But he's a good friend. He's just a moron. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, let's talk about let's talk about you and where you're from and how you first started riding. Um, I'm from Sydney, um, still am, and uh, grew up in like the southern area of Sydney. It's called the Sutherland Shire. Um, it's actually a really cool like surf suburb and stuff like around that area. It's a really cool beach area and stuff. But the um, there's like the mouth of the river. There's Port Hacking. I just grew up wakeboarding on their family water skate and stuff and it's probably the same as anyone else like you just kneeboard i don't think i ever i think the day i i think it was literally the day i got up on the single ski is the day i started wakeboarding so i never really learned to ski um i can do it i'm just not very good so um but yeah it was really co- actually it was really really cool the brand of boat we used was called hanes signature and it wasn't like um i don't think there's hanes in the u.s but it's basically like a, a 21 foot ski boat outboard and all that like pretty much the same anyone from my era started and um, we lived on this national park area and stuff. And it's like, there's no bridge across the river from the national park. If it was like, uh, if it was a bridge going across the same point, there would be like five or two minutes to drive across a bridge. You actually have to drive, takes 45 minutes to drive to where we stare at on the, um, on the river and stuff. But there's a huge sandbar that goes out for like a mile. And uh, on low tides, when we used to put the boat in and we had a tractor, and we used to drive the tractor out and then that's how I learned to drive a car and stuff was a tractor on this big sand spit. We used to put the um, boat in with the tractor and we were always called the, the weird tractor people and stuff because our, our next door neighbor had a tractor too or a couple of doors down had a tractor. 
and he had a boat as well. And we used to park our tractors like a car park at the end of the sand spit. And it's like a major river. Like, like it's huge. Like it's really, really highly populated. So it's really would have been really weird to be cruising along in your massive cruiser and there's just tractors parked on there. So, but yeah, that's how I grew up. It was really cool. It, is that the, is the river you're talking about? Is that the Hacko? Yeah. Port Hacking. Yeah. So that's why it's actually a pretty cool, vibrant wakeboard scene there. Like there always has been. It's like probably the original wakeboard scene in um in Australia. Well, actually, I mean, you probably even make an argument for the world because the um the f- some of the first wakeboard like wakeboards that were ever made were from that era. Like there's a um guys that I still wakeboard with, Reese Jordan and Paul Boyd. Um, well, more recent than anyone, and this other guy named they nicknamed him Chief. He's Grant Gettins, and they started a wakeboard company there called uh, Cordial, and um and they made the first. I mean, they always you always talk about the first twin tip wakeboard being the Flight sixty nine, but they were making these Cordial wakeboards in nineteen ninety two. So the the Flight sixty nine came out in nineteen ninety four, and I got to ride my first Cordial um over the last Aussie summer. I snapped it. They're like going down. They're like, there's only like five more, five in existence now. And I snapped one. I saw the uh, post about yeah, that. You're yeah. going out for a little throwback event. Yeah. They, well, they brought that. Um, they brought the one that was sort of breaking on purpose. There's a couple that are like, will probably never really get ridden because they're just um, all that iconic, like the collector's items. But it was really funny because they had like, if you want to talk like the, uh, or the Hyperlite or whatever, do those system boots or whatever. But the closest thing that they had was like back in 92 on these cordials and they had um these i mean they were like snowboard boots but they used to wear your sand shoes and then like your dunlop volleys or whatever and that's how you used to ride used to wear dunlop volleys on the board and stuff and it's pretty cool like you have a look at the history and you're in that area going back to like 1992 or earlier like i think they're scurfing in late late 80s mid 80s or whatever on the port hacking so it was like the hub for where it all started, definitely in Australia. Maybe the next part in the US might have been what the Delta or whatever. I don't know, but yeah, I was I was actually just watching some old wakeboard movies, um, sideways films. Ron Seinland sent me a box load of, of of old films, and I was thinking, you know, we all sort of think and feel like the East Coast, like Florida, is the spot. You know, I call it the mecca of of all well, wakeboard action, and it is now. But mm. the the beginning of our sport really ha- was out there. In the west, on, in the U.S., it was on the west coast, you know, in Cali yeah, as well as uh, up in the Pacific Northwest. Yeah, it was all scurfing. So, yeah, it's 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 always interesting to hear and hear about the different guys. So you started out on the Hacko River, and and you talked about some of the uh, some of those riders. Who are some of the um, more well known riders that that come from your area? Well, I mean, the obvious is um, Amber Wing um, is from Port Hacking. Um, I mean, Marshall Harrington, I, like. I mean, you say well-known, then maybe he's not current, but like Marshall Harrington, um, he invented off-axis spins with um, with Cordell Kraut um, back in the day. Like they were the two originators of off-axis spins. So like you talk about everyone that's doing back 10s and 12s and all that sort of crazy stuff now is all corked out and they were the first ones to do it. So, um, and they were on the original double-up team. So like he was on, I think he was on, actually yeah, the cover of the... Um, us mag wakeboarding mag back in the day and stuff so um and now there's a few grummies coming out elliot digney who rides in the juniors is um from port hacking um scotty broom is uh pretty much from port hacking as well so there's there's a lot of good riders coming out of there and um a lot of people still ride there. young sam brown young up-and-comer rides with uh 
on there all the time. We see him out ripping around on the on the river all the time. So there's still a huge scene. Like, I mean, you go out in the river every weekend and well, even midweek, and there's people riding everywhere. It's really cool. How did you kind of get into the contest scene? Funnily enough, we got into it. We started looking at some magazines and stuff, and it had um, it had some dates of local events and stuff, and was going to go do some of them and went and checked out a couple. It was actually a double up event out at where um, Penrith Cable is right now. And they put a boat in and went out and watched. That was my first ever event that I went and watched. Went and watched a double up event. Timeline, like what year? Oh man, it would have been 99, I think. Um, Cause that was the first, when I first started riding. And I reckon I went in my first contest in 2000. So it would have been like 1999. And I actually... Funnily enough, when I watched Reese, who like guys are all my friends and stuff now, I had never met them, but they all went out and rode. And to me at that point, everyone was Marshall Harrington that could do a flip because Marshall was just the only name I knew. So everyone that could do a flip on the river was Marshall Harrington. So um, when and when I watched that and then met Scotty Broom before I even went to a wakeboard event, I actually didn't meet Scotty through wakeboarding, which is was a coincidence and stuff. We started dating girls from the same school and we ended up going to a dance Um and like a end of year thing or whatever and um we went to the house party after it and he i ended up barging into the room that he was passed out in sleeping because he had to go to a a contest the next morning and i just started wakeboarding and they're like oh yeah that guy sleep on the bed is scotty broom and he kind of gave me this weird uh, delirious wave or whatever with his eyes closed and then we went out and that was like the first time i ever ran into him and then obviously knew that he was going to the contests and stuff and then yeah i mean he's been my my best friend pretty much since then so it was like coincidental that i met him through something other than wakeboarding so were you you were doing a bunch of amateur contests before you kind of broke into that pro level well yeah like everyone else I, we, there's a um local event and stuff in sydney and um yeah started doing those and met a, few, a lot of people that are now like um like harley clifford was actually he's actually from sydney and he started off in the same scene like i remember harley being six years old and i started riding i actually started riding with him yeah he would have been like seven maybe and um used to go up and help and coach him and and all that sort of stuff and um and so he used to be at those and then all the clifford boys is like ethan ty and and all those guys and at that point scotty was competing amber just started that same year my sister um who i probably should have mentioned she's from obviously port acting as well my sister um Haley Haley smith yeah Haley, my (laughs) sister yeah exactly um so yeah, it was it was actually really cool. Like um, it was one of the cooler th- things, and probably one of the bigger turning points was starting the um the local scene because, um, that was sort of the crew that I started kicking it with. Like you, st- I was at school at that point, and you have least, I had all my school friends, but it was sort of funny because I started hanging out mostly with all the wakeboard friends pretty much after that. Like it was cool having something in common. We'd ride together every week, like. Michael Hancock was another um, a wakeboarder, Hank, who a lot of the guys over here still remember and, and know pretty well um, because he, he came over and lived with myself and Scotty and Brett Eisenhower back in the day. And uh, my first two years that I came to the States in 04 and 05, he lived with us. And so we used to go riding every, um, every Friday. It was coincidental that everyone had the same Friday afternoon off school. So there was myself, Scotty, Hank, um, and then Amber, Haley. Um, and a few other, I think we had seven or eight people and we'd go riding all eight of us or whatever every Friday afternoon. And that was sort of, that was it. That's what we used to do. It was really cool. 
So it was like a cool scene getting into that local contest scene, meeting people, make, m- meeting friends and stuff. And um, I mean, I assume like that's still going down now. I know Bill Porter does the um, the the local events at perform at the yeah, uh, performance events, the gravel tour events. Yeah, so at um, OWC, and uh, it's just it's a good way to meet people. Like that's how you get that's how you plug into the social network with wakeboarding. Like you get into the contest scene, it's cool to be competing, but more than anything, you meet people that are doing it. Like most people, when you go wakeboarding, because it's different, because it's, you you start wakeboarding and it's usually just your parents. Like you might have a sibling, you might have a brother or sister, but ultimately that's your network at that point. You don't go skating down the skate park and immediately meeting people like you do or surfing. You don't go out to surf and hang out in the break with all the people. It's usually you can find to your family. So to get out of that sort of network of just your family, you have to go to the contest scene and meet people. Cause well, especially just... at that time when it was mostly boats. Well, yeah, to I was now. just going to say the only thing different now would be cable, obviously, because you're lining up at the cable park and you meet people at a cable. But back then it was just boats. Like there was no cable park in Sydney. So that was the way to plug into the network, especially in Australia. So, um, yeah, that's, I got into it the same way, local events. And then we used to have an Australian pro tour, which was, um, which is sadly not around anymore, but that, and then that was like the stepping stone events towards coming to the States. And when did you, when, like, when did you start competing on that Australian pro wakeboard tour? When did you know that it was time to step from the amateur into that pro? Realm? It happened in a month. Really? Ha- yeah, no, right. Properly. It happened maybe even less. It happened in three weeks because, um, uh, I won a pro tour stop in 19 would have been, I mean, summer of 0304 there was that that season of the pro tour so i can't remember if it was at the end of 2003 like december because that was when it used to run it used to be like december through to march or whatever in 04 um but i won the opening round of the tour the aussie tour that year uh out of nowhere too like it was just i did i think i came I don't know, 16th the year earlier. and You must of, have been learning tricks so fast. Because yeah, yeah, I, I must have. I remember having a qu- like maybe a quick learning curve like at that point. Like that summer, I think I rode with Hank, my buddy. Well, some we, of the names that you're you're competing up against at this time are, yeah, it was, are huge uh, names. I, I mean, that was probably the, that was like, this was probably the turning point, I guess. Like, because I ended up winning that event. And there was like, at that point, Daniel, Josh, Ike, Jeff Weatherall, Keith Lyman was at the event. Um and then who else was at that event? Maybe Watson, because I think uh, there was some Liquid Force crew out there as well. But either way, there was um, a lot, like a few of the internationals out. And um, anyway, won the opening round of the Aussie Tour stop. And it was, like I said, out of nowhere. And then did pretty well for the rest of the tour. Um, I might have got another podium. Like there's only four, four stops, but um, might have got another podium or whatever and finished fifth overall or something like that on the Aussie tour, which was a bit of a break. But then I got a, um, a, I actually went to Australia in, in Australia, Moomba. And at that point, the winner of Moomba got the invite to masters and I won Moomba. Um, and it didn't really sink in, won that. And Daniel said, Oh, you're invited to the U S masters. I'm like, cool, whatever. Um, I was at uni. So I was like, I don't care, whatever. I'm not going. And then um, got a wildcard entry to Asian X Games and won Asian X Games in um, Kuala Lumpur. And, um, and Jeff Weatherall and Ike were there and Scotty Broom and uh, a bunch of the current, actually a lot of the current Asian riders that are still riding cable were all there as well. And, um, and won that. And by winning that, I got an automatic invite to X Games in LA. And 
at the same thing, Daniel and Josh were like, so you're going to the States. Like you are, that's happening. And this was, this all happened within a month. And I'm like, well, I'm not, I'm at uni. And they go, and the By uni, you mean college, college. Yeah. Right. University. Yeah. And it was really strange because I had no intentions of going to the States at all. Like I was going to finish my, my, my uni degree and go on my life. And then they all got angry when I said that I was passing up my X games invite because they didn't have an automatic invite and I already did. And they had to go through the qualifying um, sequence and series in the U S I think there were three or four qualifying events and they only, it wasn't easy to get in. No, they took 10 riders and I had an invite. No one even knew I was, it was really strange. And they, they, they took 10 riders and this is at a time when you had hundreds of riders vying for this Huge. for these spots and I f- it was the weirdest feeling in the world because um i think the only person that had an automatic invite other than me at that point was danny because he won the year earlier so i think myself and danny half were the only two with invites to x games at this point maybe parks i can't even remember who it was but this is when parks was competing and all that so it was really weird because i remember being in reno for one of the tour stops and my first year on tour because i ended up going to the u.s my first year but my first year on tour i i don't think i'm at a sunday and um and struggled like daniel and josh thought i was going to do well and make maybe podium in my first year my rookie i didn't it wasn't even close and i uh i remember going to reno and i hadn't even made a sunday and everyone's asking me because everyone there was the x games qualifier on and they're like why aren't you competing do you not want to ride x games i'm like uh i'm actually in already guys and it was like this weird awkward vibe because like i remember a bunch of the guys that missed out i can't i can't remember who off the top of my head i just remember that there were some prominent names that missed out on qualifying for x games and this random aussie kid uh that no one had heard of had an invite and i got to ride in x games which was cool but it made it funnier because i rode in masters my rookie year too and was the same thing like they only take 10 riders into masters and there was this kid that kept turning up to all the hardest events to get into and i had the back door entry into every single uh of the major invite events so it was a funny rookie season but yeah i struggled that year i don't think i i might have made one sunday it might have been my last event but yeah josh always used to joke about the the sunday club members and we were the new presidents and that's probably right around the time that josh sanders won the king of wake i'm assuming this year was around earlier 2005 or so year earlier yeah so 2004 um was my rookie year and then he won in 05 yeah actually i announced my first pro contest in 05 and then it was 06 that i came on board for the entire tour so yeah where was that event what what uh, did you did you my first my first event was nationals up in wisconsin the first year they had uh nationals with double there. up del noche yeah that was a really fun event yep the first year they did double up del noche the one that they did on remember Lake that event. geneva yeah i remember that i event. think a bunch of our friends got arrested that year I, I just my my biggest thing that i remember was like thousands of people like knee deep in the water watching this event go down and and those huge uh was it at the track- original site in wisconsin where was it a different site wasn't it yeah, the, the wakeboard contest went down in Kenosha, Wisconsin. But about... at, the, at the normal site? Where, in Kenosha? I remember the dub up down no, no chay from that event. I don't think I can remember the actual yeah, nationals. Well, we we had uh, the double up del noche actually happened in a few different locations. It happened. Well, I remember once. the original one that I went to. There was one in Lake Geneva. Then yeah, there was that one. one in it was at the ski zone, like in the uh, show ski area. No, that was the year we did it in Twin Lakes, Wisconsin. That was in at my home site. Right. That one, that year was insane. The that year was 
crazy. Eric Ruck, the whole crowd went down to the uh, dock when Ruck came through because, you know, it was his hometown. And... I remember Henny doing a back seven and Watkins doing a double. Yep. I think they did that two of the three years. Right. Those were kind of like their those were kind of like their, like their go tos. Right. That was a great event, man. That that yeah, uh, it was. It was really cool. It was one of my favorite events. The double up Del Noche. I, I cross my fingers that one day it comes back. Yeah, but that yeah that was that would my that was my first nationals that one. How many Australian contests are there now? I know there's Australian nationals, but you said that there isn't the pro wake tour the, anymore. Nah, the boat boat wise is actually in pro events. There's Moomba. And then I mean, there's a uh, a World Cup event on as well in, um, in Western Australia. Madura or whatever is that? Yeah, Mandurah. Yeah, Mandurah. yeah, yeah. So they're really it now. Um, it's well, it's I sad. See, it's... I think it's growing. I, I don't know how much it is well, out that, there. The irony, but... the irony of it all is that the sport is the strongest that it's ever been in terms of riders right now. Like, like Australia is owning it and. And the way that you can see the the talent coming through, all the big talent coming through is from Australia right now and will be for, I mean, sucks for all the American riders, but there's there's some kids coming through that are going to, like, they're just going to take over from Harley and, and that's just going to be what's happening. It's happening right now. Look, Corey Tunison's already starting to make a name for himself, which is rad. And he, like, I've known him since he was eight. But there's another kid coming through, Sam Brown, who's probably going to be... Everyone, every father and mother likes to call their son the next Hartley Clifford or whatever. It's just so cliche now. But there's actually a kid coming through that really is. And he's 12 and he's going for, you know, like it's just the depth of talent right now in Australia is the strongest that it's probably ever been. And it's just the irony is that there's just no stepping stone events for them in Australia. Like it's probably good for the US scene because it means they have to come over here. But it was so good having the Australian tour for me. Like that's what made me like basically get to me, get me to where I am now because it's a stepping stone. You suddenly win an event, you get a name, you come over to the U S and give it a crack. But now it's a bit more of a gamble. You pr- probably start off a little earlier now. Like I started off from a pro level coming over, whereas all these kids are starting off in boys and junior boys, right. junior men, whatever. So it's a little bit different. But I you guess. saw Harley do and you saw Tony, right. Coney do the same thing. But to realistically though like harley was the first one to do it like that josh started in junior men um for a couple of years and did well daniel started over over here when he was like 21 22 like about the same um i came over a pro straight away chris o never a junior man so harley was the first one to take that avenue where um, an international rider other than a Canadian came over and did like, oh, Mark Kenny, I guess was probably the first, but like to come over and do like the junior levels and then work their way up into the pro level. It's just, um, most of the juniors from Australia are now doing that. So it's just, it's just a little bit different, I guess, but yeah, it's at the talent pool right now is ridiculous. We have a talent pool of American riders that are good. You, you there know, are, yeah, I mean, no, hundred percent. And I've seen them. Yeah. But. For, uh, there's no question in my mind, you know, I, I announced the Junior Pro Series that's going around for both Nautique as well as for Malibu, and and you see it, and it... They're and all Australians on the podium. Yeah, it's filled with, with Australian kids, mm-hmm. and guys and girls, I'm seeing the same thing, because mm-hmm. you, you look at Scotty Kell's little girl as well. Zara is... Zara is insane. If, it depends if she takes up wakeboarding or snowboarding at this point, but... What, what is it? Beck Gange is world champion right now. Yeah, Beck, I, I mean, even Amber, but you, you like... 
how are you guys training these kids differently than we are here? What is right. it about, like, we've got, for every one great rider, the future of our sport that that I see, there's five Australians on his, on his right. heels. And that's, like, my point is that right now we're talking about how the depth that there is and how many kids coming through, it's, like, I mean, I have no idea why, what's going on, why it's different, because it is far less accessible in Australia to wakeboard, far, far, far less, because even now, like, unless you, like, you live on saltwater, like, if you have the best setup that you can possibly have, like you would here where you have a boat lift and you ride and you leave your boat loaded and you leave it in the water, you're riding on saltwater and tidal and all of that. There's so many more um, variables um, to riding. Then if you don't have that setup, you have to wake up early because we all live on the coast in Australia. Like I think it's 95% of our population lives within 15 kilometers of the coastline. Um, so you live on the coast, so you get the coastal wind. So you have to be out on the water before seven, like 6.37. If you're riding, we usually go ride at like 6 a.m., 6.30, sun comes up, you ride, you're off the water by 8, done. But then you have to put the boat in, you have to load it, you have to unload the boat, you have to wash the boat, you have to put it away. It's like a four-hour process. Whereas like I li we live here and you go ride and it's like, if you want to, you can have dinner and then you go for a quick five minute ride and you're literally back sitting there 10 minutes later. It's, 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 that's what makes it hard to understand why Australians are doing so well, because it's so much more difficult to wakeboard. Like, it, yeah, I, I can't explain it, but right now there is plenty of talent. You know, we're talking about some of the young kids and, and obviously nowadays we're seeing so many of these young kids come over here and spend a lot of time away from mom and dad, or a lot of time away from home. Mm -hmm. And you came over here, you were, you were still in 19 or 20 when you came over to the States for your first time, correct? Yeah, I want to say I was 18 or 19. I think I was 19 because I was out of, I think I was out of school. I, d I was, I was definitely out of school. So I had to have been, um... 19 years old because I'd done one year of uni and then deferred my my second year and then gave it the flick once I kept coming over. How hard is it being so young and getting, you know, leaving your folks and your family and everybody behind? Well, it was weird for me because um, I didn't know anyone other than Daniel and, and I knew, well, I really knew, and then knew Josh and I knew Daniel kind of well, um, but not that well. And I really didn't know Ike at all. Um, so I came over and I was at the airport, really didn't know anything that was happening. And we had to plan everything down to a T, every single flight for the year that I had, I booked before I came over. Now I book the flights like three days before I have to go anywhere. Like it's just, I didn't know what to do, what to expect, what was happening. So like mom and dad had to help me through it all and basically talk to Daniel. And every time we talked to Daniel, everything was like, don't worry about it. It's all good. Whatever. Just come over. And, and what do you mean? I'm coming. How what do you mean all good? Where am I living? So Daniel Watkins for you. Though, right. right. Well, well, any of those boys, like it was going to be the same answer from, from Josh as well. So I got on the plane and then at that point I thought I was living with Daniel. I had no idea, but I, I thought I was going to be living with Daniel for the summer and didn't really know. And I get off the plane, call Daniel and Daniel was like, Oh yeah, cool. Are you there? Um, look out for a big van with all riding all over it and stuff. Um, Ike's going to pick you up. Cool. Ike's picking me up. Didn't really know Ike that well. And then Ike picks me up and then lets me know that I'm moving in with him. I had no idea. So I ended up living with Ike and Jeff here for um, 
for like three or four months. And do then... you do you know anything about Ike going into this at all? No, I... no well, I knew of him, and who... but do you know you know about his reputation or anything? Yeah, of course. <laughs> so yeah, so you so yeah, you land, you landed Orlando International Airport, and yeah. you find out you're moving in with with Ike. I mean, does this right? You get a little unsettled, or are you a little nervous? At th- I mean, Ike yeah, is a great, well, great dude. But, but nothing, none of that it was more of the point. I just didn't know him. Like right. I don't know. It was weird. Like Daniel was like my. I don't know. It was weird. Like I had this attachment to Daniel. Like Daniel, don't let me go. Don't let me go. I don't know anyone. And I mean, it ended up being two of the best years of my life, like living with him or whatever. But like he's one of my closest friends now, and all that. Obviously, from the, just that time. But it was um, it was weird, and like it was different again because. Um, it's different to how most of the kids are doing it these days. And, and I don't, I mean, I don't want to take away from what the kids are achieving, like the Australian kids, but I was saying like, it's easier or whatever, but like parents are buying houses over here in the U S and so you have your own space and you get your boat and everything's all really settled and easy for you. Like, um, a lot of the kids now, it's just, they have their own, own houses. Like it was just unheard of to have your own house over here from, for any of us like um so moving in and doing that and you're living i don't know it was it was just a weird feeling living under someone else's roof and having to revolve around their daily schedules of of ike as well living around ike's daily schedules it was just such an eye-opener and weird and jeff here and um so it was just it was it was different like scotty broom i lived with him that year and it was the same thing he came over halfway through the season and um like I wouldn't have done it any other way. That was the, it. Was the coolest two years that I've ever had over here. Like it was so fun living with him. And um, but yeah, we just did it different. Like a lot of the guys. I think Harley did it kind of that way for a few years. He lived with a few people on couches and stuff. And um, and because uh, oh, his parents aren't aren't all that wealthy like as well. But like so he had to do the sort of the same thing that we did. And then obviously he started doing well and bought his house and all that. So he's a lot more settled, but yeah, it's just, it was, it was a little bit different. I don't think any kids really do it this, this way anymore. Everyone's sort of a lot more, a lot more dialed. Yeah. Well, we're very lucky now. You got all the great, uh, wakeboard schools and wakeboard camps. And yeah, stuff exactly. Well, Amber did that route. Like, um, Hank and Amber were both doing the, um, the, the Hansons and then Amber ended up going to the wakeboard school and, and did it that way. And I probably could have done it that way. It just never really passed my mind. And plus I never wanted to, I don't know. I just, at that point, I was living with Ike and, like, everything you're doing at that point, you are you don't realize how useless you are. And, like, we were, like, living hand-to-mouth. I think I was making, um, like, $500 a month from my board company. And then, man, that was it, actually, because I was making $500 a month from my board sponsor, but I was living off my prize money from Asian X Games. So I had this big envelope full of money in my uh, that used to sit on my dresser, and that was my yearly money. I just had this big envelope of $100 bills from winning. I think I won 10 grand or something from Asian X Games, maybe. I can't even remember. But I um, but I had this big envelope and that was my yearly money. And I, I used to physically be able to see my money depleting. Like that was, I didn't have a credit card. I didn't have um, a, a card over here, like a bank card for any bank. So everything that I had was all in cash. And if I had to buy anything like flights online, I had to get Ike's credit card and hand him the cash or whatever which so, i'm sure he loved well he didn't care i think he had a delta credit card or something like that so he didn't care he was getting oh, i'm getting me miles so i used to like hand him the cash or whatever and yeah it was just it was really funny to do it like that like i used to physically see my money going down and i had nothing 
funny, funny enough, talking about all the money and stuff. I remember, I remember being completely broke towards the end of the year, and like to the point where I could hardly afford rent. I think I was behind on rent. Nike had to spot me, whatever it was. And uh, we went up to uh, get some groceries because I got a cash advance from my board sponsor of like two months. So maybe I offloaded the 500 bucks or whatever it was to Ike for one month for rent, whatever it was. Ike was probably ripping me off. And then, uh, and then took the other 500 bucks and I'm like, you beauty, I can go eat. I'm going to go buy my groceries. This is going to be awesome. I can finally live. So I go up to, the, up to Publix and as I'm packing the groceries away, I get all, had all my money out already. And I go up there and this dude pulls up in like a, in a, uh, in a little minivan and goes, Psst, you want a stereo? And I'm like, no, like, obviously not. I'm not going to take a stereo from you. You're in a minivan. And then I don't even know what part of my brain switches off, but I'm like, I want to hear this guy's story. What, what, how are you going to pull this off? So I go, tell me a story, mate. What do you got for me? Tell me what you're going to sell me. So he just does the whole spiel. Oh yeah. I've got a, uh. I've got these stereos in the back of the car. They've they've messed up the invoices. I've got one extra and all this. And I'm like, sure you do, buddy. Good story. And then he goes, no. Nah. And I, I don't. I can't work out the point that he wrote me in. But he ends up handing me this brochure catalog. And obviously it was all BS. And he hands it to me and goes, yeah, man. Like, look, listen. This is the stereo, and it's a legit company. And this is. And he showed it to me and all that. And I'm like. I don't even, I can't even pinpoint the exact moment that he sucked me in. Somehow I got sucked in and he's like, look, these are 800 watts in the speakers or whatever. I'll sell it to you for a dollar per watt. And I'm like, well, I haven't got $800. Like I've got, and he goes, really? And I go, yeah, well, sorry, man, I'm not going to buy it. Like whatever. And then he's like, well, what do you got? And I go, well, I had $500 and I just bought like, 200 bucks worth of groceries or $150 worth of groceries. So I've only got like 350 bucks left. And he's like, all right, I'll do it for 350 bucks. <laughs> so we walk over to the, uh, to the nearest ATM. He follows me over and then I withdraw whatever it was or give him the rest of my money that I had. And, um, and then he goes, so what do you do here, man? You got an accent. And I'm like, oh, I'm a wakeboarder. And start giving him the whole spiel. Oh, yeah, I'm a pro wakeboarder, dude. Oh, big deal. And then he goes, grabs a scrap bit of paper off the floor of his car. Like I'm talking like, look like a piece of an envelope that he just ripped off. Goes, oh, man, can you sign this in case I hear about you one day? And this tiny bit of scrap paper. And I'm thinking, I'm signing this dude like a proper freaking autograph. I'm stoking him out. Sign it off or whatever. And... I bet he's got it on his fridge about this dude that he sucked in. I grab the stereo thinking that I've conquered the world and I go back to Ike's and with all my groceries and stuff after getting two months worth of cash advance from my board sponsor, come in and, I, and Jeff's sitting there, Jeff here and Ike and Scotty and they'll, and I come barging through the door and I go, wait, guess what I bought? And I sit there and Jeff's sitting there and he goes, you bought a stereo, didn't you? And I'm like, What? And he goes, you just bought a stereo, didn't you? I'm like, what? Nah, what? And I run outside and bring in the stereo that I just bought. And he lost it. And I'm like, nah, man, this is completely legit. This is what I bought. Like, this is this is all totally legit. He showed me the catalog, told me everything. And then he goes, turn around. And there's Ike's big TV that he used to have. And there's these two stereos, like speakers next to the TV. And he and Ike's all embarrassed because Ike was, didn't want to say it because he got sucked in. And he goes, see those speakers as well? 
Ike bought him off the same guy. And at this point, Jeff's losing it. So I go up the road and I'm thinking that I'm going to pay for my year's rent. Like this, I'm going to sell these nuts. Jeff's wrong. I'm going to pay for my year's rent. And I end up going up to like a cash converters thing and trying to hock him off and find out. And the guy just laughs when he finds out that he's like the second set, the person that's come in trying to sell him. And I think he offered me like 90 bucks or something for him. But I did pay whatever it was, 300, 350 bucks, but I've still got them. Like and, that was and two, they still work? Yeah, they still work, 100%. I think I only stopped using them like two or three years ago. So I got all those years worth of out of them. And Ike, Ike never even connected his. I don't think Ike's even worked. And Ike paid 800 bucks, which made it funnier. When I when Ruck bought his house and I moved in with Ruck the first day that he bought his house, we, we were like driving to Home Depot and we got stopped by something. I don't know how these guys just end up stopping you. It's like you're you're driving your car. I still see this happen in Orlando all the time. You're driving, and they just and they're like, "Hey, hey buddy, hey buddy, hey," and you're like, oh, "Well, you're yelling at me through your window, so I guess I'll stop." And but do you, like, boom. Do you know Do you know Josh very well, Sanders? Oh well, yeah, of course. Yeah. So if you anyone that's ever met Josh, he's got like hands down one of the quickest wits of anyone that I've ever met. Like he is razor sharp. And Todd Coggins as well, and you know Todd, you know Todd pretty well. So Todd's a pretty prominent figure, or what used to be a prominent figure in the bar scene downtown. He's still downtown, I think. Anyway, those two together, like them bouncing off each other, was just it was magic. It was so funny watching them work with each other. So he was doing the same thing. Josh was renovating his house that he just bought. Anyway, he goes into the car park and he was renovating the bathroom. So he'd bought a toilet or whatever and some stuff and the guy comes up to the side and does the same thing with speakers or what it pulls it like literally the same spiel like exactly probably the same guy josh knows what's going on at this time 100 percent knew what was going on so the guy's coming up and then he's like hey man do you want to want to buy speakers and whatever and he's like hey man no i know what you're doing and then the and the guy's like no like no what are you talking about no no, no i know what you're doing no, no no i'm trying to sell you speakers like this is legit and tries to like hush Josh up and show him like, oh, I got the paperwork and this and that. And he goes, no, like we're on the same team. And the guy's like, what? Yeah. Are you still on the speakers thing? And the guy's like, yeah, what? And he goes, yeah, you did the whole thing with the invoice. And, yeah, mate, that's the old thing. You're still doing speakers. And he goes, what are you talking about? Toilets are where it's at now. And, and the guy's like get confused. And he goes, I can't believe you're still doing the speakers, dude. Like that, we were doing that last year. New, these toilets are where it's at and the guy the josh and 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 uh todd get this guy into the back of the truck examining the toilet they just bought from home depot telling him that it was like some fake thing with all these different materials and stuff the guy's in the back and josh has sold the guy like he's now josh is now reeling him in going yeah dude see this it looks like the real thing but it's not mate we're making double this you gave him a fake phone number of where he can try and buy these fake toilets from and hock them from out the front of Home Depot, man. Like they were the funniest dudes ever, man. It's so, it's great. <laughs> so here in Orlando, here in Orlando, we got the guys who are trying to hock a hock off yeah. um, uh, stereo systems. I don't know if you've had the guy that comes over to your house and tries to oh, deliver the, the meat. The steak guy, the guy that delivers the steaks. No, I haven't had the steak guy yet. Uh, well, watch out for them because they're they're just as aggressive. And uh, now, I, I know <laughs> now the I, toilets. I, I wish I wish I had a, a quick enough wit at that time, or like now. Obviously, I know. Like Josh probably knew because Josh used to hang out with Ike and knew what the guy was doing immediately. Or maybe Josh just wasn't as stupid as me. But like, I wish I could think of something as quick as him. Like, 
It would have been the funniest thing to just be messing with him the same way. Oh yeah, man, you need the you need to get on these toilets, and this is this is where it's at now. <laughs> yeah, man. All the years that you've been here, and like all the different living situations that you've had, uh, you you've got to have run over some kind of ridiculous stories. Uh, maybe parties or, or Ooh, yeah. shenanigans. What are what are maybe some of your most memorable living situations? Oh man, I don't even know how many of them I can tell. Um, I'm trying to think of some of the ones that I can even talk about. Um, just actually, just living with Ike was the funniest, I guess. He's always just because his mannerisms are just so blatantly obvious. Like everyone's got an Ike impression and stuff. And living with him for a few years, he has all those funny mannerisms he used to do, and like used to go over everything. He used to everything used to relate back. Like he would basically. Um, he would he would he would tell you that the reason that he hadn't won the pro tour for the past ten years in a row was because that he got a speeding fine and because he got the speeding fine he couldn't afford his laptop and because he couldn't afford his laptop he couldn't keep up with his emails and if he had his emails up to date he would have gotten more sponsors and if he had more sponsors he would have had more money to afford to ride more and he would have had better boat and he would have done this and that and then all of a sudden you come out the other side and he's ten time US Pro Tour champion and you're like Whoa, and he would tell you that at like eight in the morning or not for Ike, would have been one in the afternoon with a cigarette in his mouth and if he just leaning there hucking off all his phlegm and his state. It was just with a cigarette it, in his mouth oh, on it was the dock. So fun. Yeah, on the dock, yeah. It was just so funny. Like and he's he was amazing to live with. He was really, really cool. He ended up being like a big brother to me and stuff. But we had some cool like we had lived in Parks' house for a year with a bunch of crew, which was really, really funny. And we had ten people living in that house. Like, I mean this like you look back and they're gonna be the best years of our lives like hands down like living like that just you don't and again you don't realize how useless you are yeah we had i think living in that house that year we had uh chris, that was out on lake hiawassee yeah it was we had like mitch langfield lived with us uh chris callis uh scotty broom both mackie boys scotty and troy mackie um carney josh robinson who was is an australian filmer we he was, we're filming for two movies. There's a Christian Fitzpatrick. He filmed for another one. Like we, I think we had we turned the garage into a um into a another bedroom with curtains and stuff. And the funniest thing was we first moved in, and it was myself, Scotty Broom, and Mackie boys. So it was the four of us. But the house, according to the Bay Club rules, where Chad still lives in there, you're only allowed a maximum of three people to live in there. So Parks, the first thing or the last thing he tells us is, look. You're only allowed three people. We've got four. So the Mackies have to pretend to be the same person. <laughs> <laughs> so we go, as long as you can pull that off, you just have to. That's yeah. The Mackies are the same person. Little, like, little does he know. Yeah. But Australia's in the moving in. Yeah. We ended up having 10 people. We turned the, um, the, the garage into another bedroom. We had people living in a lounge room. Like, it was ridiculous. And, um, and we had our next door neighbor who, Someone told me a name the other day, and I cannot remember a name. I should, because she was really cool, and she was basically the one holding the wolves at bay because everyone hated us. Like we used to have Jack Blodgett three doors down, and not in the same neighborhood, and then, um, and Ricky McIntosh, who owned a bar downtown, and like they used to get us in trouble all the time. Like we used to, they used to come over. I remember one night Jack and Ricky let off fireworks at four in the morning after we came from downtown, so we got. I, we never had the cops arrive, though. It was insane. I can't believe the cops never arrived once to our house. Anyway, we used to, Parks used to get blown up by all the, the homeowners association. And he, I always used to think that he would be really pissed off at us, but he never was. Parks was 
I don't know, he never really said much. He just used to tell us, oh, yeah, I spoke to the homeowners and they're all angry at you guys and totally cool and whatever. Takes, it takes quite a bit to uh Yeah, but he must have been getting some serious phone calls. And then um, and then I remember one night, this was actually really, this was actually quite funny. We'd finally gotten like the real, um, what was our next door neighbor's name? She came over and basically it was like a full ultimatum. She's like, look, you guys really can't be doing this like, Parks is going to get in trouble. Everyone's going to get in trouble. People are going to be getting arrested. This is just, you need to pull your heads in. So we like stopped having parties and stuff and, and all that. And it was only like a week in and I'm in bed and it was like two in the morning, three in the morning. And all of a sudden the stereo turns on downstairs really, really loud. And I can hear everyone dancing and stuff. I'm like, are you guys kidding me? Like, didn't you guys get the, the memo? Like we are in, we are in shitty. Like you, we can't be doing this. So then. I'm lying in bed and I'm like, wait, Scotty didn't go out. Scotty's in bed. Scotty Mackey's out of town. He's not even here. Troy Mackey had gone back to Australia. Who the hell is downstairs right now? I go downstairs and it's Shane and maybe Jimmy LaRidge <laughs> randomly. Like they didn't even live in the neighborhood. They're from like, they live 15 minutes away. They've gone downtown, come back to our place. We didn't even go downtown. Turn the stereo on flat out. I go, so I remember like walking downstairs and seeing Shane party in our living room out of nowhere. I just walked straight past him, turn the stereo off. They thought I was coming at a party, turn the stereo off and walk back upstairs. And I can just hear him. Oh man, I think Dino's pissed at better go and then i just hear that i hear the lights turn off classic, and then leave. classic oh, shane oh man it was one of the most random things ever i couldn't believe they randomly came over to our place it might have been shane and jack i can't even remember it probably was because that was in a time where anything you know even shane's house at shane's house parks would show up and but just like, kind of run the sh- run the run the show there, sleep over or whatever, because you know they're brothers. They think that it's their house. But it makes sense if you live in the hood and someone turns up. Like if I was like I lived in the hood for a few years at Mitch's. Like if if Shane and and any of the boys turned up there in the middle of the night, then all right, well you live in the neighborhood. You walk over. How the hell? Like it's in the fifteen minutes in, in the opposite gated, direction in a gated in a community. gated community. Like they've made a conscious decision from downtown to like come over to our place and party at ours afterwards it was just it was really really funny but it was a really funny year that whole time like i remember lidberg was, was over at ours just about every day riding and like it was cool riding with tino and watson they were always over i rode with chad just about every day so it was that was a really fun year living on the wasi dean we're gonna take a quick break from the conversation and hear about one of my awesome supporters if you're cool with that yeah cool all right i want to take a moment to talk about hydra boat fenders Hydra fenders are innovative, unique, custom-made boat fenders, boat bumpers, and buoys made of quality, long-lasting marine materials that will last for years and years. Combining incredible softness for maximum cushioning with superior strength and durability, Hydra fenders are eye-catching boat fenders, and trust me, everybody on the lake will be taking notice. Hydra fenders were created to give individuals a custom, innovative boating accessory that allow them to make their boats and lifestyles truly their own. Check out the original Skull Fender online right now at www.hydraboatfenders.com and use my special promo code MANO2015 for an extra 10% off. Again, that's hydraboatfenders.com 
and promo code MANO2015. Now, let's get back to the Golden Mike podcast with our guest, Dino Smith. Hey, I want to talk a little bit more about um, some wakeboard stuff here. Uh, let's talk about like riding wise. You know, obviously you've had a pretty good career uh, starting in 2004 with the win at the Asian X Games. Since then, Australian Pro Tour titles and overall Pro Tour title in Australia. Uh, a lot of uh, a lot of top finishes uh, around the around the world. Uh, you had the Wake Games win starting off the 2014 season. How have you been able to keep up with the new generation of riders? It's hard, man. Like, seriously, it's really, really, really hard because it's not like it used to be. And I feel like it was for a little while, like maybe there was a point where a lot of people guilty of just collecting paychecks and moving on and you didn't have to learn too much. The runs were the same for probably, geez, maybe like even like 2004 through to like 2008, the runs were basically exactly the same. Like no one would really progress maybe there were a couple more nines in a few runs maybe phil at that point was doing a couple of different mode fives or whatever but it was really essentially the same and then since then since harley i would say changed a lot of stuff and um move that basically moved the target for contests so as soon as the target got moved like everyone then all these young kids then shifted their focus differently to what we had because we had a different we had one target and they've got a new one about where you gotta be at so they're immediately setting themselves on for that sort of level whereas we probably weren't to be honest we definitely weren't like if you were doing a nine in your run back then was probably win the event um so at that point to try and help them shift that target was really really was probably hard because um you had to move really really quick so I think I adapted pretty well. Like I kept, um, I, I, I mean, I, I think I'm still learning. Like I don't think I'm probably writing now. Like each year I probably even open with myself about probably writing better than I was last year. I'm writing better than I was last year. I'm writing better than I was last year. I'm 30 now. So um, it's, I've, I feel like I've moved pretty well with it. I'm probably not moving as far. I'm not moving as fast as some of the Groms are. They're all accelerating a lot. They may not be as, maybe some of them aren't as good as me yet, but I can see like, the next three or four years, I'll probably get overtaken. I'm pretty open about that, but by then I'll probably be done. So, um, I'm happy with where I'm at. Like it's hard. It's definitely hard. It's probably a lot of some good motivation though. Like you want to learn all of a sudden, if, as soon as those tricks are like staple, you stop being, um, so, uh, reserved with your riding. You stop accepting that that's the level and you actually have to be riding at a different level. So you become less satisfied with the tricks you're doing and, and how you're riding so it was probably a good thing like but I, I to be honest i think harley was the one that changed it all which was pretty cool and probably what was your biggest whenever i would say the world's back in 2010 um i don't know i felt like there was almost a little controversy surrounding the decision out there yeah. on that particular day and i've always kind of tried to rewind the clock and, and think about it i was looking i was looking back at the results and you actually knocked Harley Clifford out in the semifinal round. Yeah, it was contentious for sure. Because um, I ended up falling in my run. I can't remember where. But I remember having a less than perfect run. And I think Harley had an extra trick than me in my run. Whatever it was. Um, given Harley didn't have his best ride that he'd ever had. But um, my initial reaction was that I was, I was all 
uh, pissed off because ha- um, Harley didn't ride that great. Um, and I came off the water thinking that I could have just shut the door on him and beaten that run really, really easily. Like, I remember thinking that I left it really, really open. Well, at the time, I was like, stormed off the dock. I was like, man, I screwed it. I should have beaten him. I think he's got me. And then it turned around and he ended up beating, I ended up beating him. And, um, and I was probably close, but the, the, I mean, it's funny, like it's probably the same with my weight games win. Like to this, like I've definitely won the final in the, um, the world that year in 2010. I definitely won the final. I definitely won the event, but I probably, whether I should have been even in the finals, probably even debatable. But then when I even won weight games was, um, was probably even more contentious. Like I, there's no way I beat Harley in that event. I thought to this day, I still think Rusty and I were like really, really close for coming second. Like I, I could justify myself having come third in that event as easily as I can coming second, let alone winning. I just don't think I won. But, um, but yeah. So we, I, I, that that event was weird because they do it every year on Pro Tour and oh, whatever event they're doing. They try and set a, a precedent for the rest of the year and and set some sort of um. Not so much a benchmark, but like some, it is just a precedent for the riding that they want. And every, in the end, everything ends up weeding its way back to the middle anyway, and it ends up being exactly the same as the year before. What do they want? Do they want? Right. Well, that was what I was getting at was that they tried to make some sort of statement. And I, I, I was kind of pissed off about it because they kind of strung me up on a cross a little bit with it all because I rode, I rode really good. I was happy with how I rode at the event, like really happy. Like I came off and I thought I wasn't riding very good leading into it. And considering how bad I was riding, I thought I was, I, I couldn't have ridden any better really at the event. And, um, and I felt like I did a couple of tricks. I did like a melon seven into the flats and I was like my opener and a few other things. And, and I got paid for him, which was cool. And I would expect to get paid for something like that. Like it's a hard trick for sure. But then I don't know if they got carried away with everything. They were like, Oh yeah, we want everyone to go big this year. And that was the precedent that they were trying to start. And, and I, I felt really bad because they kind of used me as, yeah, they strung me up and used me as, I felt like a martyr on it all. Like it was just weird feeling because they put me out there for it all. And I don't know. And, and the irony of it all is that, it, like I said, it all weeds its way back to the middle. And in the end, Harley's run and Phil's run end up going one and two in the end. Well, there's, there's no secret that you are pretty much riding bigger and way more totally. into the flats than anybody else no no no, and 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 no doubt like i i get bummed if i didn't get paid for it in an event for sure like i've there's been times where i've come away and felt like i've got shafted from an event but like there's no doubt that i've been kissed like um and that this is oh, i think the weight games is probably the biggest one just like i was happy to win it's cool i didn't give the prize money to harley for sure but the um it was just a weird feeling knowing that I got used in as it was. That's what it was. I got used in it as an example, kind of, and I felt like it wasn't justified. And no doubt, I'm still pumped to have won weight games. Like I have the trophy, and it's like pride of place and all that. Like, um, but I got kind of got used as a bit of an example, and it was a little bit of an awkward thing. Like Harley was cool. Like we were totally fine. Like it wasn't awkward between him or whatever. But he got shafted. I think that's the big thing. Like whenever I see Harley, whenever you watch Harley ride. Um, there's never been ever you've ever seen in his entire career that you've ever gone. He was lucky to win ever. Like it's just never, ever happened. And I think that's the hardest thing was like, you know, like the, he only ever gets shafted. He never gets kissed and 
I definitely got kissed on that, and maybe maybe I kissed getting into the world's final. I don't know, but um, but yeah, the world's one you can pro- I could probably justify having beat him it was like a fifty fifty sort of thing. But weight games, I probably should have got second, maybe possibly third. Like I don't know, but I was still happy with how it rode. Hey, so I've announced you uh, to countless big air kicker victories over the years. Yeah. Your your go to trick has been that back seven twenty, the backside seven off the kicker. Yeah, money maker. Like, <laughs> I feel like you could have picked any trick really off your heel side. I think you could probably do one of your massive tantrum backside yeah, threes. I've instead. won it with that before as well. But why that back seven so much? Like, I was I actually went back and watched some videos of it. I mean, just so smooth, so clean, and it comes to you so easily. Just because you can control the handle, like you can rail at it and. You pull the handle into your hip so much more, so the handle's closer to you the whole way through it, and you can control the handle passes a little bit easier. The land, the handle comes to you a little earlier for the landing than a frontside seven. Like, I don't know. I've just done back sevens like that off kickers forever. Do you think the do you think, off the weight the same? Do you think the backside seven? I, I there was a time when the back seven was being rewarded very very highly, like off double ups and off right, the wake right, and right. stuff like that. And now we're starting to see it's like. It, like that trick pop up a lot more and it, I, I don't know because i don't do these tricks on a wakeboard but a back seven should be harder than like a regular front side seven but it almost seems as if more people are doing regular uh or doing back sevens now than heel yeah seven. well sort of like i mean it's always weird so i'm judging and stuff but like i mean any completely utopic world where you just do a stock standard frontside seven or a backside seven the backside seven's generally going to be a harder trick but i mean that it depends how you do the trick obviously in a contest but i guess in a standard world then yeah the back seven's probably still going to be harder but i think that's the whole reason is because the riding level is so high now that you can't really have any sandbagging tricks in your run like everything has to count everything in your run has to be there for a reason and it uh and everything stand and it stands out when you have a trick that doesn't that's not there for any reason other than filler. Um, so if you do some trick in there that's not twisty flippy turny grabby or whatever, then there's a reason that it's in there for. So that's why guys do like methods or um, JD or like switch method, whatever. It's in there for a reason. Like there's a there's a purpose for the trick in there. It's not just to fill in something. So as soon as you start doing sevens and stuff now, like frontside sevens, it stands out as being filler. Like it's just that's the level it's at because heel nines are so can so common now that if you do a stock standard wake to wake heel side seven like it's I don't know it doesn't count for as much as it used to. I want to talk a little bit about Harley once again. Now I know you were you were at the Masters. You did a little speaking with me in the microphone on one of the days. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know you went home mm-hmm. on Sunday and watched through the webcast. Yeah. Uh, Harley's been on fire in 2015. He hasn't lost an event yet. Uh, as of of course, when this this episode is recorded, including last weekend, which for yeah. those of you guys who are interested, was the second stop of the Super Pro Wake Tour, which Harley won. Uh, what did you think about his perfect scoring run at the Masters? It wasn't even that unexpected, man. Because I drove up with him and stayed with him when we were there. Other than obviously the last night, I pieced out, but he called it. I mean, we were coming up, we were driving up there, and he told me he was going to do it. Um, it didn't even, like. As gnarly as it was, it didn't surprise me because that's his free riding run. I, I I can understand I I can understandably figure out why you don't think it's that gnarly, but right. What, but well, what I, I'm wondering I rode about with him is... the whole week before, and he that's 
what he did. That was well, the tricks in a pretty much in that exact line. What I think is most important about this is the hundred point run, the perfect score, it was and a the statement. fact, and the fact that Phil Sovin was on the dock <laughs> and had to go next. Right, like the right. <laughs> the funny thing about even that hundred score was, um, I read with Phil. Um, actually, I've written with Phil a lot the last few weeks since then. Um, and he came over and it was probably the first, it was actually probably the first day that he got back. He came over and wrote at mine. And I was, we, however it came up, we're talking about that run and whatever. And I may, maybe he brought it up about the fact that they gave it a hundred and it annoyed him a little bit. And, um, I made, I was making jokes about everything like, um, that run would be the first time that I can concede that I probably, not probably, I couldn't beat it. Like, I, I can't beat that run. Um, even Harley's runs up until now, like, I can still justify myself. I mean, not that I've, I've done it, or, but I, I feel like I can do it. I can beat these hardest runs. It's just that he does it every single time so easily. I would be white knuckles the whole time. There was the first time that I could watched it, and I'm like, counting all the tricks that I've done that I can do that I might do. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, no, I won't, that wouldn't win it. Phil to this day has never ever conceded that he can't beat Harley. It's like his thing. And, and he's on the back of the boat. And, and I said something along the lines of, oh, there's nothing we could have done to have beaten that run. And he goes, Oh yeah. But if I'd done my heart, all my stuff, like everything that I can do, Coram said I could have beaten it. What would you, I'm like, what, what, How, what could you have done to have beaten that, Phil? Like, I don't mean to shatter you right now, dude, but what the hell? Oh yeah. If I did like my crow seven and I'm trying to think what tricks he, he was, there were some other tricks that he was talking about. Yeah, he's Maybe, probably talking crow seven, uh, whirly dick. Yeah. But there were tricks. Back that mode I, seven. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think one of the tricks was like a back mode five, like switch back, back mode five or something like that. And I'm like, I've never even seen you do that, Phil. Like. Like any and and then he mentioned a blind Pete and I haven't seen Pete Phil do a blind Pete, like properly. Like I remember he did it. I think the last time I saw Phil do a blind Pete was in like '06. I'm sure he's done him, but I haven't seen him. And I've ride with him a little bit, and I haven't seen him do a blind Pete. And he's gone through all these tricks that he can do or has done, and that if he did them all, toe tens and all this sort of stuff, that he would have beaten Harley. And I'm like, yeah, but no, I don't think you would have even been like. I'm like. I legitimately don't think you could have. I don't mean to like write you off here, but you couldn't have beaten that. And he he was on the back of the boat with his board on and just slides into the water and is like, "No, I could I can beat that." And that was it. And then just grabs his ride, a giggle, and and that was it. Just typical Phil. But yeah, he had to ride after that hundred score. Would pretty harsh to give a hundred when. I would, the only thing that could have made that whole situation funnier, is if Phil legitimately did beat it, and they're all sitting in the boat after giving a perfect 100 score, and he legitimately went out and beat it and then put up 102. I talked to Phil that <laughs> I talked to Phil that night, and he told me, he said, Dano, I, I could have beaten that score. And so I'm I'm actually thinking in my mind. That's like, comical that he said that because I don't think he can. Well, I asked. You know, I asked. <laughs> I wanted to know. and I, he, he, But what, like, this is nothing. I, I mean, man, I feel like, I if, I feel like if he's going to be all this, I'm riding him off. But like, I just, I, don't, I mean, I don't see it. Whatever. He, if he's confident, then he can beat it with all the tricks that, he can do and has done, then that's rad, but I don't, whatever. I wanted to know <laughs> if he really thought he could do it, and honestly, he thinks he can. And but that's why he's so good. Yeah, exactly. That's the whole reason. He's never once conceded that he, in 
every time and we always talk about like times that Harley's been screwed over that Phil's won. There's never ever been a time that Phil's had a doubt in his mind that he won that event. And that's not, I'm not saying that as a, a derogatory. I'm saying that's why Phil's so good is that at no point is he ever decided that he's out of an event. He's so competitive, like unbelievably competitive. Especially like in a like away away from wakeboarding, he's he's actually a pretty mellow guy. Um, but then around an event, like he never ever lays down. Like he might he might fall going for it or whatever in a final, but he'll fall slap the water like as he did on Masters, slap the water because he feels like he let the wind slide when Harley just scored a hundred. Like it's just that's his mentality, and that's why he's been so so successful. Like probably. Why he's been way more successful than anyone else in the history of the sport, other than maybe Harley at this point. But um, Phil's probably still got more uh, to his name than Harley. Do you know you're involved in one of wakeboarding's mega couples? You are engaged to Amber Wing and expecting a newborn later on this summer. Five weeks. Five weeks. Probably from... less by the time this comes on. Yeah. Wow. How 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 do you guys um, how will you guys balance? the new baby with the never ending summer. And of course, most importantly, your careers. Dunno. <laughs> Not a clue. No, I don't know. It's, 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 I mean, it hasn't even happened yet. It's the strangest feeling ever. I don't know. I'm sure everyone goes through it, but yeah, it's just the most, it's the weirdest feeling. Like, cause it's she has, like, we haven't got the child yet. Like, it's just, everything's like this, to start with, it was weird. It's all like, um, it's, I don't want to say hypothetical, but it kind of is because everything, like when we first started telling people, it's like the same way that you tell people that you bought a new car. Oh, bought a new car. Oh, it's a red one. Oh, bought a Mazda. It's really nice. Got an unlimited warranty. And you're like, oh yeah, having a child. It's going to be, hopefully going to be a boy. It's going to be good. Like, it's just, it was like this really weird thing because it doesn't feel real. And then all of a sudden it, starts feeling really 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 real and um yeah but july 10 so the plan like amber um wants to be competing in september at worlds so she's trying to do the whole super mum status thing and um and all that sort of stuff so the um there's she's trying to make it to japan we got the world series event in japan so she's going to try and fly from oz um i'll be leaving australia a little earlier than her and and the and the bub but I'll uh, hopefully be meeting him in Japan in mid-August. So, funnily enough, like the first month or two with the child's life, it will have been Australia, US, Japan, Portugal, and Italy. So, because we got Worlds in September, and obviously it's going to there as well. So, this kid's going to be a million miler by the so time it's grandma, like 10. Grandma and grandpa are not going to be doing all the babysitting then, huh? When we get home, they definitely will be. You got a little world traveler coming. Yeah, no, nah, it's gonna be really cool, man. Like we got everything. Um, well, we figure we're obviously pretty clueless with it all. Like no one really knows, and we'll figure it out as we. I mean, I never changed a diaper in my life, so I'll figure it out. But, um, yeah, we're we're, we're definitely gonna um be traveling a lot still with it. And well, Amber was here in the states to start the season off. Yeah, yeah, she only left a couple of weeks ago, so. She had the flyer, the cutoff date for uh, pregnancies, 34 weeks. So she went home at 33, 33 and a half weeks or something like that. Um, so she had another baby shower last night and all that sort of stuff and then had another scan and got to see the baby and stuff. So I missed all that, which is sad, but I'll be home um, in a couple of weeks. So 
only missed three weeks. The, the hardest thing is going to be leaving Australia and going back to the States without her and, and the baby. So we don't know if it's a boy or a girl yet. So I don't ever want to know what to call it. I call it it. Right, right. It's weird. Right. It's like I feel like it's an evil clown. And I'm. this is going to be some sort of hybrid water sports babies coming uh, out of the womb doing triples nah. right off the get-go, huh? Yeah, I hope it can, I hope it can drive 300 yards with a two-iron. <laughs> That's what it's all about, right? Yeah, it's, it's, it's not. It's not coming out until it's got a two iron. I don't know. It'll know what. Got, at twenty five, it can choose if it wants to wakeboard or not. Well, I had, I had Amber on the <laughs> it's an expensive uh, sport. I had Amber on the podcast. I know she's a pretty well off golfer herself. She's, she's she is. Pretty she's talented, really good. So, so. Uh, I mean, obviously we're active. So, like Amber and I are very active. So, do you guys ride together? Yeah, we uh, yeah, we do actually. It's it's easy i hate being in the boat for too long so if i want to go ride she doesn't want to ride she just takes me out shredding takes 10 minutes 15 minutes and back, what about so. when she's held what about when she's not pregnant do you guys are you guys riding mates then like are you coaching yeah. her and i mean she coaching you yeah i guess like i mean not knowingly i guess like if i'm falling on something and she knows what's going on she'll tell me like i don't know it's the same with anyone like you ride with anyone and she's she's a top level rider and is coached for Pretty well, she's literally coached her entire career. So you listen to what she says, same as I'd listen to anyone else. I ride with Danny and Rathy and whoever else. Like, I'll listen to them the same way. But yeah, it's just cool. Like, I don't know. It's just, it's actually really cool because it's obviously not a sport. Like, I mean, brought up surfing earlier already, but like surfing, you just go bugger off and don't even tell anyone and you go surf and you're on your own. But you need someone to drive you unless you're a cable, going on cable or whatever. But I need someone to drive me and you need at least one person. So it's, it's really cool having someone um, around that always rides and can take me riding and likes being on the boat. Have you landed a, a double flip? Yeah, I've landed, all, uh, I've landed double indie tantrum off the wake and then double cabbies and all that off kickers. And I've, I've been getting this question a lot from a lot of fans. Who landed it first, the double flip, you or Amber? Me. Yeah, I landed double cab roll. Yeah. Yeah, that's that was really funny that I managed to do that before. Uh, I wasn't that long either. I reckon it was within six months. I reckon. Yeah, I started doing double half cab roll. Man, I think it was at uh, it was it was at O Dubs. Yeah, I was I learned them at O W C. Brenton Priestley taught them to me actually. Funnily enough. Are you doing the doubles off the wake too, or just off? Um, the, I mean, the double I can. half cab rolls. No, I have to learn half cab roll. I've been learning half cab rolls. I suck at them, but. I um I do double indie tantrum filming for Prime, um and that's the last one I did just cause I, and I like beat my ankle up so bad on that trick and I'm just at the point now where I got kind of be cautious with my body so I need to learn a different double because double indie tantrum I just I I if I fall on it just you don't just sort of fall like I tweak my ankle almost every single time so I might be able to like fall on one and try one more with like a tender ankle but and then i'll fall in another one and then i can't ride for three weeks you don't have those rubber harley ankles no like i i, I don't know how he gets away with it like he doesn't dip obviously not want to say different he doesn't better than me obviously because he just does them but um i mean the one that i got on for prime like i went i go really far at the back and not knowingly, I don't mean to. I think I'm going perfectly square, and I think that's why I land on my ankle so bad because my all the force lands on that ankle. Harley goes more up and over, and um, same as like 
Um, who else does double indie tantrums? There's, I'm sure there's a few, but maybe a couple other people. I don't know. But everyone that does them, Danny Half or Double Up, they go more up and over. So the, it's more evenly, evenly distributed, the force when you fall. But I go all the way on my back foot and just crunches it. I've tried some regular tantrums. Believe it or not, I've never landed one. <laughs> I've only landed one invert on a wakeboard, but it was a back roll. But I've tried uh, regular tantrums, and yeah, I tweaked my ankle out a little bit. I think it's something that if I... It's just that fall. Like, that same fall applies for, like, I mean, when you're a kid and you're learning tootsie rolls and stuff, it's the same fall as a tootsie roll. It's actually the same fall if you're learning a front move. If you ever learn a front move or a tootsie, it's the same fall. It's that impact of coming down on the on your ankle and... um. I don't know what inward dorsiflexion is or any dorsiflexion, but when you crunch your ankle like that, um, it's the same fall. So it's just amplified on a double indie tantrum so much more. You t- mentioned a little bit about Prime and uh, filming for Prime, and uh, I want to I want to transition and talk a little bit about Brad Smela a little bit. Mm-hmm. I know that you're very close with Brad, and I had Chad Sharp here on the podcast a few months ago, and we talked about the day Brad was injured, and I know that you were there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you were one of the first responders along with Chad Sharp as mm-hmm. soon as you saw the injury. Yeah, and Spencer Norris. Can you talk more about that morning or, or what was going on in general at Lake Ronix that, that day? Um, Yeah, we... It's really eerie thinking about that. Um, we were going to film for Prime, and Spencer Norris was... From memory, the only one filming. And it was pretty much just Brad wanted to do the double. Or the double T to B because he just done it at um, Rising High. And um, I don't know. I actually rode. I was riding with him for the, um, for man, a while. This is, I mean, hindsight, maybe it was a factor. Who knows? But I remember we both had this super off day. It was just me and him riding. I remember Marcy was... Marcy was there. He was too tired. Um, Pratt was there. I think Pratt rode for a little bit. Whatever it was, I remember mostly it was me and Brad. And we're having a shocker. I remember I couldn't land anything. And I was like, I'm still to this day, like, spooked by that setup. Like, it was weird. I always thought I would gravitate towards something like that, and I didn't. Um, I never really did anything else except for back sevens and front sevens and I think that was the only two real tricks. I think I might have attempted a double, a t- double tantrum to blind, but that was I. I didn't do it. Like I really, I wasn't very good over it. I think I was just too spooked, and um, and we're having a shocker there. Like, I remember having doing nothing. I remember I wanted to do a back seven or something or indie back five, whatever, something like that, and I just couldn't do it. Kept falling. Brad was doing the same thing. He kept doing like big tantrums and opening out forking on a double tantrum and stuff and i was like i'm done i was over it and i remember going and sitting down and brad's like oh i'm gonna keep cracking away at it i'm like all right cool and sitting down the bottom and then he did a double any tantrum not that clean it was the same thing well whatever reason we were both writing crap and then watched him stick his double tantrum blind then went down the bottom and then he wanted to commit to his double tantrum to blind he might have even done another double tantrum i can't remember but then he went to do a double tantrum to blind and whatever reason. Well, who knows? That morning, whatever, like you can speculate. But yeah, whether our heads weren't screwed on. But yeah, he just balked on it and crashed. And that was one that he crashed on. But yeah, it's actually, yeah, I mean, it sounds bad, but it was a good timing. 
of uh, because I was right as I'd gone down to the bottom beach and Chad was just sitting on the top of the lake a little bit. So we were both kind of like before that, if he'd hurt himself um, and I was riding, it probably would have been tougher because Pratt, we were all sort of sitting up the top rather than down the bottom. So yeah, I'd ended up just going down, sitting down the car and I might have watched him do one double and then the next one he crashed on. So luckily, we'll, we'll, Chad and I were pretty quick to respond. So, but yeah, it was just like, I don't know, in, you look back at stuff like that and it was eerie, like you talk about premonitions and stuff. It was never a premonition, like you didn't expect it to happen, but it was just like a weird thing where we were both riding crap and there's all this hindsight, should, we could have stopped, were we tired, like who knows, but yeah, I mean, it sucks because, I mean, Brad and I have even talked about it and you guess a hundred reasons why it happened or whatever and. But yeah, happened and then yeah, Chad and I and then Spencer Norris was filming and yeah, we got to Brad luckily. So, how did you know how to respond? Oh man, like <clears throat> irony of it all is that Brad was the one that was doing all the um safety courses and stuff for everybody. So we'd done like a safety course leading up to that. Luckily, so Chad had a pretty good idea of what was going on and stuff and. We went out to him as soon as it happened. It was the heaviest thing. I've I've never seen anything. Probably will never see anything like it ever again. And it was like not even like a, a thought that, oh, are you okay? Like it was so gnarly to the way he fell. And he was just face down, not moving, done. And so we were in Like I started swimming to begin with. I'm a very fast swimmer. And Chad jumped on the paddleboard and started paddling out. So I jumped on the paddleboard with Chad, got to him. And... um. By the time we got to him or whatever, he was still face down, unconscious. And we f- he's he's a big dude, best of times, let alone when he's unconscious, trying to flip him over. And then we were like, obviously, at that point, like, we immediately, like, suspected back injury, like, 100%. Like, uh, the way he fell. So, like, we were, like, trying to flip him over without moving his neck too much. And we, we had to get his head out of the water. And he's, like, drowning me. Because I didn't have a vest, I want to swim out to him. I'm like holding him up, I'm like trying to keep his head out of the water. So we just put his head onto the back of onto the paddleboard, and right as right as we we're about to do CPR, um, because he wasn't breathing, he went blue. And right as we we're about to do CPR, he started breathing again. Like we could feel him breathing, and sort of started his eyes started flickering and stuff. So we didn't have to do CPR or anything. We just then we had to like his board was still on, so we just floated him over to the over the shore and got his board off and called the helicopter and yeah that was it how important is water safety and how to like we spread the word about it and teach like future riders yeah like it's obviously not a common thing for a wakeboarder to like have any i mean you pr- i I've, I've never heard of it you probably won't hear anything or anyone being paralyzed from wakeboarding i wouldn't think i've could be a world first. I don't know. I don't take something crazy like that ramp. Um, but yeah, like obviously the biggest thing was, is that he was wearing a vest. Like if he wasn't wearing a vest, we couldn't have got him out of the water. Safely. He wasn't just wearing a vest. He was wearing, wasn't he? He was wearing a Coast Guard proof vest. Right. He was wearing a, well, obviously on um, uh, rip curl vest, which is in Australia. They're all, those vests are all approved. And, um, and he, if he didn't have it on, I have no idea how I would have got him out of the water because he's huge. Like he's a big dude and someone my size in the water. And when he's like dead weight, 
trying to float him. Like, he was drowning me and he had a vest on. Like, I don't even know what would have happened because he would have been swinging on his board like like a pendulum. But going to the bottom, his board would have been floating, but he wouldn't have been. Like, And I have no idea how I would have had to have swum down and swum him up. I, I just don't get how that could have possibly have happened. So, like... He's ultimately, he's like, Brad always gets all, um, he gets emotional over it. Oh, I, I saved his life or whatever. And everything. But like, really, the vest did. Like, he, um, he, the only thing that saved his life was that vest, like, properly. Like, there's so many cliche things. People have caught edges. Like, I caught an edge long, like, when I, somehow, when I hurt myself. And I mean, I got smoked. And it, obviously, maybe it saved my life. Maybe it didn't. I know Chad preaches it these days about i have to wear a vest because he's done it a few people like cordell krauts drowned like but like that properly saved his life like really saved his life there is no way he was unconscious like it took us i don't know 20 seconds to get out to him maybe yeah like realistically by the time we got up and swam out to him like 20 seconds he spinal cords done like broken neck like all that sort of stuff i just i just don't know how we could have possibly have gotten him out of the water at all gotten him to shore let alone got him up with his head resting on a um got it safely anyway because he's like luckily brad's like um spinal cord is not severed maybe that would have severed his spinal cord on top of everything that he's got like it would have just been i don't know man it would have been just it's all hypothetical now obviously and it's like what ifs and all that but like that vest properly saved his life like really saved his life have you been to mm-hmm. new zealand mm-hmm. to to visit with brad at all and how's yeah. he doing yeah good i actually i only brought this up the other day i gotta give him a call i haven't spoken to him in a few weeks I spoke to him when we were at chad's not too long ago um but yeah he's um i mean he's philosophical at the best of times anyway but like he talked to him and stuff and he's always upbeat and there's always something ticking on in his head about whatever it is, about what he's going to do, um, plans that he's got with different, um, he's got some really cool um, foundation ideas going on, or not even ideas right now, it's Ride for Those Who Can't, which is really cool, and then it's another foundation that he's got going, which is rad. Um, and there's always the cogs ticking over in his head, like he always says that he's got nothing else to do but think of whatever, and I'm sure he's had to navigate a lot more obstacles than he lets on with it all. Like he talks to us and he's all good, but he, yeah, sure. I can't really grasp what he's going through. No. Yeah. I just talked to him last weekend. It was, uh, I announced an event and the, the guy that won the event, actually the guy that won the pro card at the event was riding the, uh, special edition Brad. Oh, no way. Yeah. So Sick. I thought it was pretty cool. I, after the event, I FaceTime Brad and had him talk with the guy and, and everything. And cool. Yeah, it was pretty cool. And, you know, it, it's just, it's so cool to see how high spirited he is. And um, everybody around the community, around the, the wakeboard community, appreciates his high spirit I'm so sure it's much. Tough it's tough for him, The only thing I always think, like, is that it must be tiring. Like, everything aside, like, like I never want to smother it with anything like when you're talking to him or anything like that. So, one of the, one of the, probably the coolest moment that, since he hurt himself was when I um went and kicked it with him at the hospital that he was at. And um 
we were all sitting there and there was people coming through every single day. And I'm sure he's stoked on it, obviously. Like, you're grateful people come in to see you. But I, in the back of my mind, wonder how much time you'd want alone just to catch your breath and catch your thoughts and whatever. And one night, like, as I'd seen how many people came through and I'm like, oh, man, do you, like, I can come kick it tonight or whatever. I can you know, hang out on your own. He goes, yeah, whatever. And just went and watched, we watched, watched a movie that night and didn't even say a word to each other for, like, an hour and a half two hours just lying there and we're just watching a movie and it was like probably like might have been like dumb and dumber or something like that and it was like the first time that like you sit there and it was like normal i don't know yeah. like for maybe it was just for me i don't know like you're sitting there and you're like just me and brad just watching a movie i don't know so it's just hard to grasp everything that he would have been going through so or is going through I've, i'm so impressed with how strong he was uh you know when he was here in the states and we were all going to visit him in the hospital and mm. and like you said i mean just having all those different people coming through and and talking right. with him and he didn't have to but he was always putting it on you never seemed like he yeah. was being bothered or anything like it that. always made that's what i don't know he always made me wonder if he was just putting that on for us or if it was just you always wonder if we'll be suffocating him with with it all, but yeah, you want to be up up upbeat for him and stuff and uh and help him out. But man, like he's a strong dude, man. Like you only had to talk to him for the first five minutes, and you're like, holy crap! Like you are like his mind is racing right yeah. now with ideas and things that are going on, and like just thinking outside the box a lot. And man, like if anyone's, I mean. Dude, if anyone's going to do it, like, he's going to be the man to be walking, so. Yep, no no doubt. I mean, he's the guy that's gotten pretty much everything that he's wanted at always. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He he worked, works for everything that he wants. Yeah. But he's that. He's got that work ethic. Exactly, too. man. So, and how cool was it having, how do you say it, the Tyrua Pipe Masters? It was Tara. Tara. Yeah, in, sick. In uh, so New sick. Zealand. <laughs> and uh, that's a big rail event, right? Yeah, the, um. Well, it used to be, oh, it is. The um, uh, used to be like a big uh rail event in the in New Zealand. It hadn't been on. You know, I don't even remember. I'd, I'd never been. Chris O had been a few times, and who else had been? And they're trying to use it as like Brad's event every year for his foundation and stuff. And like that event's so fun. That place, that town is so sick. And he actually came out and announced, right? Yeah, it was actually sick. Yeah, it was really. Uh, he was amped on that, but that was a big weekend for him, dude. Like. We were all partying. He came out and partied with us for a little bit after it in the pub, and he looked wrecked. Like, he was so tired. Yeah. So he hung out for a little bit and paced out, but that was a big weekend because he was, like, it was, um, we went, he had to do a thing, like a speech or in a, a school assembly, and then he, the, the newspapers and media wanted to talk to him and everything. Like, it was just, then he had to announce, and everyone wanted a signature, and it was just, it was a really big weekend for him, but it was so sick. We should we should get like a Brad Smela sticker so that he doesn't have to yeah write it out with his with his mouth or whatever yeah. every time announcing Brad obviously and I co-announced for a few years together. How about you, man? What are your thoughts on announcing? I like it, man. I'm talking up as it is. I might as well be talking into a microphone. I would guess. You, would you? <laughs> would is this something you'd ever consider doing? I mean, I don't know. I never really consider anything more than just film it for fun. Like really, like you know, we're... I announced. I did announce an event last year, though. I announced um, uh, the Wake Park Worlds. Oh, in Abu Dhabi. Yeah, I now actually, yeah, I actually have. I've announced an event before. I went to Abu Dhabi and announced uh, the Wake Park Worlds. That was actually really cool. 
Oh well, uh, we're we're definitely looking for someone to to start coming up there and, and helping me out. Maybe until, I'll help out. Maybe until that's until B Rad can make his way back. Yeah, down exactly, here. man. So now all these kids are riding too good. Maybe that's what I got to do now. Injury kept you out of the first few events of the 2015 Wakeboard World Series. Yeah, it sucked. I, know, I didn't go to Brazil. That's the Brazil mm-hmm. is the event that I that I'm not locked down on and and wake stock for this year. As yeah, of right you don't now. speak enough Portuguese. Yeah, no, I'm I'm going to Portugal. Yeah, do you speak Portuguese? Oh yeah, I guess they speak Spanish in Portugal, right? Or do they? Speak no, they Portuguese? speak Portuguese, but they speak Portuguese in, <laughs> in Brazil. Brazil. Yeah. Uh yeah. I I don't know. I guess the guy out there is just a real character. Uh, who, in Brazil, the yeah. guy that announces it. <laughs> yeah. Well, he wasn't there this year. If you what? talk about the dude with the Oakleys. Yeah. Oh man, dude. You know, we were joking about people that you have, like, and it probably happens with uh people like us that have traveled the world and stuff, and and there are people that. I regard as friends that I've never even spoken to directly. Like, there's a guy in Japan named Zuki. He's a little OG, like, Bailey of Japan sort of thing. And he doesn't speak a lick of English. I've known Zuki for 11 years now. Never spoken to him without a translator. But I think he's one of the raddest dudes in the world, man. Like, super funny. Bro down time, like, whatever. And it only occurred to me that I've never actually spoken to him without... Whatever he talked to him, oh, maybe a little bit of English or whatever. But then there's dude, this dude in uh, Brazil that announces the event, doesn't speak a lick of English, and you turn up and he just stays, makes no, feel like he just makes noises at me, and we just high five and yeah, dude, he's so funny. He's rocking this mohawk with the old school rap over Oakley's, dude. It's the funniest thing in the world. They're like ten years old. And I've he heard, loves I've it. heard some stories about oh, this guy, dude. But he wasn't there this year, and apparently he wasn't last year. So I don't know what he's doing, what his deal is. Getting back to kind of some sports stuff outside of wakeboarding, um, I hear you're kind of getting famous in the world of cricket through your social media posts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I made the news. I really? made the news. Yeah, my tweet made the uh, newspaper in Australia. Yeah. So are you are you actually a cricket player yourself, or are oh, you? I mean, I was. Yeah, I I actually played um in Florida when since I've been here. Funnily enough, so. Yeah, getting into a cricket story. Um, but there's um this guy who f- just finally retired. When he retired, he finally got dropped by the um the West Indies. The West Indies is like the national team for like Jamaica, Barbados. I don't know if you guys refer to it as the West Indies. Australia does like we call it the Windies, like Barbados, Jamaica, all the islands, the Caribbean. Um, anyway, so he played for the West Indies. He's like an all-time great, and his name is Shiv Chanderpaul. He's like legend. Look, like he's played. I think for the windy since like the early mid nineties, like longest career, like 20 years. Anyway, he's buddies with some of the guys that I met with here. He lives in Orlando and, uh, the guys that I, the cricket team that I joined are all friends with him. And I ended up getting to play a game with him in this tiny park up in Ocala. And it was the most random thing in the world. Like I'm trying to like, like, it'd be like playing with like A-Rod in some, like playing a game of baseball with A-Rod in the middle of Nairobi. (laughs) Like, you know what I mean? Like some weird is, park. Is, is A-Rod Nairobian? No, but that's yeah. my point. Is like, it's just like that sort of vibe. Like I was standing there and actually got to play with Shiv and like, this guy's like a proper all-time great, like all-time legend worldwide. Would rec- If he was walking around in Australia, he'd be recognized everywhere. And I'm playing with him in a park up in, in Ocala with a bunch of crew or whatever, just playing with him, drinking beers and stuff. It was Normal a normal guy? Yeah, he's my size too. It was so funny. Like, if you look at, you know, he's oh, you look bigger on TV. And he's like, actually, like my size and stuff. And like, but you bat in cricket, you there's two batsmen that play at the same time. 
So in between pitches and stuff, you kind of like can talk tactics or whatever the hell you're talking about. And I'm sitting out there with Shiv and I'm like, what am I going to say to him? Hey, man, keep your head down. <laughs> like, like it's just, but it was a really random story anyway. But yeah, I played with uh, cricket. But yeah, I got to play with Shiv Chanderpaul in Florida. Weirdest thing ever. Uh, what about any other uh, sport? American sports, how about? Yeah. I got into NFL. You're into NFL now. Yeah, like it took me, like never, I always understood the rules. Like, cause I like sport in general, like, like anything. Like, I watched hockey the other night. Like, I'm not. So, who's your team? Are you a Bucks fan? Go Bucks? In Buccaneers? the NFL? No, nah, yeah. I got to go for uh, the Hawks because I'm uh, always up there in Seattle. I go to the Hawks games every time I'm in Seattle. So, I would, kind I'm of obviously a, it's not. It's kind of a Ronix thing. Exactly. And I'm not obviously a diehard Hawks fan. Like, if they lose, they lost the Super Bowl, obviously, and I watched the game. And I got up and cried. I went, oh, that sucks. Oh, well, and then got on with the rest of my day. But there were people, I was going to text everyone in, at the factory at Ronix, but I figured it wasn't a good time. So, but yeah, I got, I got an NFL, watch a little bit. I don't really watch that much hockey unless I'm with all the Canadians, but I understand it all and stuff. Like, I, I don't know. I've always been a sports nut. I follow like motor racing, cricket, a little bit of baseball, not so much baseball, which is funny that I like cricket, but I love soccer. Obviously, rugby league, rugby union, like, I don't know, everything. I like sport. You see yourself uh, after wakeboarding, maybe uh, hosting like a sports center or something <laughs> That's like what Amber that. says. She always is like, yeah, you got to get into, send your resume into like the uh, TV stations and try and get into sports, whatever it is, whatever it is, just commentating or not maybe commentating. I think you'd be good. I mean, I'd like it. It'd be unreal. I'd love to do it and follow a lot of different sports and stuff. But yeah, especially in Oz, like, yeah, I love cricket a lot, so... Australia's actually uh, been playing. I was actually, they're in the West Indies. They're in there right now. They're playing Australia and the Windies are playing. So I was contemplating if I was still hurt, just piecing out to uh, the Caribbean and just going watching Australia play for two, for a few weeks. You, you see, if you become uh, some sort of news commentator, you yeah, just go out there maybe and cover was, it. Yeah, yeah, maybe that my tweet might have been my... Uh, my uh into the whole sporting world you're a blogger now well no there's actually a cricket blogger that um that he was a a, a parody account on twitter and he's uh he used to be a parody account of a cricket commentator who actually died last month and he's like the he was like you for cricket like the voice and everything for the last 30 years of cricket like just everyone's got an impression of this guy's name is richie benno anyway he did a um a, a parody account of Richie Benno, and I followed it, and it was like my Twitter. It was like every day I'd see if the, if Richie's tweeted me. And anyway, I had been tweeting, but then Richie started retweeting things or tweeting me back and or whatever, and it started getting me followers. So I'd lose all my wakeboard followers and gain cricket followers. So my Twitter account's pretty much stayed stagnant because I'm losing all my wakeboard followers. Um. But yeah, so this guy is a cricket blogger. He's really big and he's always like, yeah, we've got to get you in. We're going to do an interview and stuff and go down there and do an online thing because he does a, um, he now does, I think it's DennisDoesCricket.com. Give me a plug here. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I'm going to go into uh, and do a full interview with him because he does the same sort of podcast that you do. So, how, about, how about like Dean does cricket? Yeah, I know. I know. Sure, day. Yeah. <laughs> hey, uh, what's what kind of goals? I, I know you're starting to compete. I saw you at the Masters. Uh, yeah. You did what? You, you you did ride Brazil this year, correct? I did. Yeah. It's a weird season right now, just because like my like this is the first year that my rankings are all, well, put it not so lightly up the. Shit. They're just I'm gonna like, I'm gonna be out of the top ten and everything pretty much just because I've missed events and. Uh, maybe in World Series, I'll be able to like 
claw my way back into the top 10. But at this point, like, if I finish eighth on King of Wake or King of Wake and World Series, or even if I finish sixth, it does, no one remembers, no one cares. So it's only really if you're making top five, top three. Uh, so it's a weird season for me right now to not really be competing for anything other than trying to win an event, which is cool because it's kind of going in there with a bit of an open mind and not really caring and being more relaxed. So I guess right now, contest-wise, is just a bit of a throwaway year. I'm going to try and – I'm going to compete in everything I can. If I can get some podiums, it would be really cool. That's probably – there. that's probably my contest goal, I guess. It would be cool to be able to win an event. Um, so at least now it's probably – I probably have a better chance of winning an event this year and not caring about rankings than any other year, which is kind of cool. So – uh, but other than that, um, pressure's off totally. Yeah. So I come back in August and that's the other thing, like obviously going back for, um, for bigger things and wakeboarding in Australia, I'm a birth of our child. So, uh, I'll be back in August and I'll be coming back pretty cold. I probably won't have ridden for the whole time in Australia. I'm going to try to, but it's winter. It's hard to ride. Everyone that I would ride with is over here. So it's just one of those things that could be tough. So I uh, might be coming back into the season a little cold. So, again, I'll probably be pretty relaxed, not really caring. I'll just see how I go on the events. But I'm just going to try and uh, film a video edit together and try and get it out um, before the end of the year. Probably or not by Expo or anything, but by the end of the year. It's a beautiful thing. And uh, how about it over there at Ronix? What's what's going on with you and the family over there? Any new Always boards? Good. Anything anything cool? Uh, anything you can talk about yet? No, I mean, there's no, I mean, yeah, shameless plugs or whatever, but there's um no new shapes or anything. I'm not going to um, preach that, but yeah, same shape, board's going good. Seen all the new graphics, there's some new boards and stuff coming out. There's always new stuff coming out, so it's always it's always cool when you go to the team shoot because there's always stuff that I've never seen because I'm away for the winter and they're uh, doing a lot of the R&D, particularly with Dommy and, and Cheeky and, um, and Pratt, like all those boys do so much R&D, like Todd. Todd, uh, Watson. Uh, yeah, Todd Watson's doing a lot of work as well. And like, so I come back and at the team shoot, there was like boards that I'd never even knew that we were working on all oh, rail boards and stuff, which is really cool. Yeah, so. but they're now they're releasing the, now they're actually showing the 2016 stuff in Australia. Right yeah. Now. Yeah. So if you were sneaky enough from the US, you could piece out and go check it out. But very sneaky. Yeah. Very it sneaky. happens for sure because we always find out that. Because there's dealers uh, that do all the different brands out, outside of uh, Ronix. So there's dealers that end up sending catalogs, like make makeshift catalogs out to everyone over here. So Well, and then the, the thing is, is it actually that the 2016 product probably gets delivered in Australia well, right Australia around September. Yeah, Australia gets it all first. Yeah, it gets it in, in yeah, September, which shipments. is when we get to see it here mm -hmm. at Surf Expo. Exactly. So it's all, but in Australia, it's being sold. Right. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a little different. It's kind of cool. Australia gets to see all the product first. So, um, Amber's um family run a, a retail business over there, and or, and a wholesale business as well. Actually, or more of a wholesale business with a retail business attached to it. All so they sell Ronix. So, um, Amber's, one of the distributors. They're not a distributor. No, they um they sell their wetsuit product. Ah, I see. Yeah. So they have wing wetsuits. Um, that they wholesale and they run, they double up their business as a wholesaling place. And then, um, but yeah, so they sell, uh, Ronix and stuff. So Amber's sister, Dominique goes to the, um, showings and gets to see it all. And so she, she'll be down there. I think Paul's 
He might be back now. Try and call him tomorrow. Yeah, well, I, ta- I, that's, I was going to say I talked to uh, Brad Smalo last week, and he was with Paul. Yeah, I don't know when Paul's there, too, but yeah. I'll, Paul should be back this week. I'll assume. Well, Dean, before we finish up here, uh, how can the folks out there in podcast land find you on social media or find out more about your personal brand? Uh, I mean, I'm on social media a lot. You may not like what I tweet, but you can find me on Twitter if you like sports or whatever. I don't know. I'm pretty lighthearted on it all, but pretty much everything that I do, all my handles across everything is just Dean W. Smith. So whether you're doing uh, Facebook, I have my Facebook fan page, Twitter, Insta. Jeez, I'm sure MySpace probably still around. I don't know, but you can get on me MySpace account. See what I've got. Uh, probably had a cool song. You know, you used to do background songs on your MySpace page. I wonder what it was. But yeah, everything's pretty much just Dean W. Smith. So if you want to follow me, have a chat, get on there. Uh, how about your sponsors? Any shout outs? Yeah, sure. I'll give a shameless plug out. Yeah, obviously, we'll mention Ronix and and, and uh, Ripco once already. And obviously, being on board with Rockstar and uh, Tiger and uh, Bill, uh, Bill Porter's helped me out with performance. So got a cool, it's actually, I genuinely have a cool uh, group of people we work with, which is pretty rad. All right. Well, Dino, dude. Thank you so much, man. Yeah. It took us a, a little bit of time to get our schedules kind of meshed up together. Yeah, we did it, though. But we did it, dude. <laughs> and it was fun. Yeah, got it done. I hope you enjoyed it. I waffled a lot, so I don't know. You, there's there's a chance you may get more people downloading this as just as many people not watching this anymore, listening to it. Yeah, we'll see. We'll mm. see. We'll, I'll, I'll let you know the numbers once <laughs> we get that. But with that, I, again, I thank you, Dean Smith, and uh, and hope you all out there enjoyed it. And here after a quick break, we'll be right back to close things out on the Golden Mike Podcast. Cast, cast, cast. Woodrose is a sunglass company based in Central Florida that manufactures frames from wood and other sustainable materials. With an infrastructure built on a passion for action sports, life on the water, and a love for the great outdoors, there's no doubt Woodrose handcrafted wooden and sustainable eyewear will fit your lifestyle. Follow Woodrose on Instagram at Woodrose or check them out online at Woodrose.com. That's W-O-O-D-R-O-Z-E.com. Hey, I'm Amber Wing and you're listening to the Golden Mike podcast with the Noise of the North, Dano the Mano. A lot of energy and a lot of fun. What a great dude Dean Smith is. I always look forward to seeing him ride at events and... I love having him up in the announcer's tower. Dean has a brand of comedy that is his own, and he's never afraid to point out the obvious no matter the situation. Dean can get serious, and uh, come game time, watch out. His writing, well, it's so unique and all his own. His amplitude and style is so big and explosive and insane. In age, he might be getting up there in the standards of pro riding, but there aren't many young dudes able to ride with quite the intensity and drive that Dean has. I was glad to have locked Dean down for this episode and hope y'all enjoyed it. Let me know. Your feedback is always welcomed and encouraged. Shoot me a note through email, goldenmike at noiseofthenorth.com or message me through the Golden Mike Facebook page. Again, I'm on Twitter. Follow me at the Dano T Mano and at the golden underscore Mike. I'm on Instagram, and y'all know it. Shoot me that follow if you might, at Dano T. Mano. Once again, I thank you, Dean Sanity, 
Dean O. Smith, the 20th guest of the Golden Mike podcast. And now a few shout-outs to the sponsors and the folks behind the scenes. Thank you to iWake.com, Performance Ski and Surf, PerfSki.com, Hydro Fenders, Hungry Boards, SUP, Woodrose, Jammy Pack, C-Deck, Marine Products, GoPuck, my friends at Logos That Pop, and Empire Sound and Lighting. That's going to do it for today's show. Appreciate y'all for tuning in and listening. I'm the Noise of the North, Daniel Lamano, and you can hear me next time once again on the Golden Mike Podcast.